and I am delighted this afternoon to be joined by Colin Groves. Colin, thank you for coming into the studio. And uh, Colin, your, your new book, Life Wasn't Boring, is the title of the book. It's just been published in hardback. Yes, that's right. And um, you were saying it's just got into a, a book fair as well. It's going to go to the London Book Fair in April. And I'm very pleased with that because I'm a first-time author and the London Book Fair happens to be just about the second biggest in the world. Which is amazing. So congr- Which is a huge step. Congratulations for that That's and thanks for kind. coming in today. Uh, soldiering obviously is a serious and, and bloody business, uh, but when you were putting pen to paper, you wanted to focus on the, the human side of your three decades of Army officers' life. What was your inspiration and rationale for the book? Really, it's my family. I'm, I'm a natural storyteller, apparently, um, and they wanted me to write down various of my stories. And it happened to be our 50th wedding anniversary in 2019, and we treated ourselves. We went across to New York and came back on the Queen Mary. And on the Queen Mary was the Cheltenham Book Festival. And I met a really quite famous correspondent who encouraged me to write the book. That's amazing. That is amazing. And what a lovely journey, I'm sure. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> Put it on everyone's bucket list. <laughs> How difficult is it, though, to start writing? Because if you've not done anything like that before... Oh, well, that's a very good point, because um, when I met this correspondent, the first thing she said, I can see you can write a bit but you don't necessarily know how to write a book. So she advised me to go on a residential writing course, and I did that with another couple of famous authors, and that gave me the tools with which to start writing that I wouldn't have had before. Interesting, very interesting. Let's take you back. Uh, You you describe yourself as a woeful academic. Well, I think I probably was, because (laughs) I've I've got grandchildren now about to set their A-levels, and the last thing I want to do is follow their footsteps with their grandfather. Um, I moved around a lot in um, early childhood, which meant my schooling was disrupted. And I ended up in a B-stream of a grammar school, and I realized I didn't have to work too hard to keep my head above water. But I got into a lazy habit, and eventually it meant that I failed exams. I only got five what were then GCEs, and it took me three attempts to get those. Okay. And then I got into the sixth form and managed to fail my A-level. So it wasn't particularly good, was it? <laughs> and where were you educated? Locally? I, no, no, I wasn't. No. I was, I was, my secondary school was in Warwickshire. Okay, so quite a distance away. And so you joined the army at a very young age. I was just 18. Um, I failed to get into Santos because I didn't have the A-levels. Okay. But I managed to go to a, what was called an officer cadet school, which gave you just a short service commission of three years. And I went there at 18 and a half. I even managed to fail that in as much as all the young teenagers on the course were put back. And that was difficult to take at 18 and a half. But the army was quite clever because it meant that the second time round, all of us real youngsters grew in confidence. That was really important when we came to be posted to our units. Okay. And uh, what year was this that you actually joined up? 1962. 1962. Just a year after the Berlin Wall was put up. Okay. And that was important because my second posting in 1964, was to West Berlin. Oh, was it? Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Let, we'll talk about that in a moment or two. Uh, now, tell us, how many years exactly were you in the Army for? <laughs> exactly, 34. 34. <laughs> and you rose to what rank? I was a brigadier. Congratulations. It was That's better than good. working. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Colin, with that, um, you just said you, you, you visited Berlin or worked in Berlin. You probably visited many countries during that period of time. I've touched down or visited 44 countries. 44 different countries. And how many of those were you actually stationed in with your family? The family would have been about five or six. Which is still, again, a lot of change for a young family. Oh, huge. We moved. 
And this is one of the reasons I, I wrote the book, to, to display on a, a soldier's family life. Sue was with me 27 years in the army. We had 19 homes. Wow. That's a lot of homes. It <laughs> uh, must be very difficult to maintain that balance between being a career soldier and, and being a family man. I'm afraid the career soldier tends to take precedence. If you, you get told <laughs> to go where you have to go. For instance, just six weeks after our first son was born, I was posted for six months in Northern Ireland at the height of the Troubles. Wow. So I had six weeks to get to know my son and support my wife. And thereafter... We were in Northern Ireland and she was in West Germany. Wow. It must take a very special family, a very special bonding between a husband and a wife. It does. But, of course, everyone's in the same boat. So yeah. um, there is this corporate spirit which helps, but it's still quite an uphill struggle sometimes. And um, when did you start writing the book? How long ago? I started in April of 2020, about two weeks after Boris said lockdown. Okay. Um, and I wrote it in seven months, the first draft. But then, of course, you've got the redrafting and the editing, and that took another six months. So it didn't get positioned with a publisher until about March of last year. Okay, okay. And now, the part of the book obviously covers the, the, the military account of your career, and we're going to talk about those highlights later on, but the book aims also to reveal the human side of, of being a soldier and those personal interactions amongst colleagues. Can you tell us a bit about some of the, the moments that might surprise or entertain us within the book? Um, surprise? Well, I, the first thing is, as a very young officer, I was given a first-class sergeant, and they teach you the ropes, all the things that can't be taught formally at an officer cadet school. This is how you go about it. And I remember once walking past a soldier whose kit was not up to standard, but he was the last national serviceman in the battalion and about to leave in two days' time. And I thought, is it worth it? And as I moved past, there was a cough behind me. And Sergeant Hutchinson said to the soldier, Mr. Groves had a very rough night in the officer's mess last night, and he's not his normal self this morning. If he was, he'd have said, what a disgrace your boots were. Anyway, the soldier was dealt with, and I was taken back to the platoon office, and my sergeant said to me, don't ever do that again. He said, don't ever let your men down. Don't let me down. Don't let yourself down. You're better than that. Now, I was mortified, but I've carried those words with me. And that's just one aspect of the human relationships which can go on, and people don't expect necessarily between a senior rank and an officer. No, not at all. Not at all. We didn't mention, Colin, the, the, the family, actually, by name, so we ought to probably give them a name check. So who have right. we, we got in the family? Well, I'm married to Sue, um, and Sue proposed to me in sixth form geography. Goodness me. Right. Um, we were a bit short of atlases, and Sue, looking across to me, said, would you like to share this atlas? And like a fool, I didn't recognise this as a proposal of marriage. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been sitting next to each other ever since. That's a great story. <laughs> That's a lovely story. Well, congratulations and hi to Sue as well. And you've got um, family we got as well. two boys. we got two boys. And uh, who are the boys? Nick um, is the oldest one, and now he's 47, and he's in the foreign office. And a 45-year-old Tim, who's an artist, and he went to Germany after leaving university and has his own graphic design business in Munich. Did the boys find it easier to travel because they were probably situated in different countries? Is it no. travel comes easy or not? 
<clears throat> that was one of the, the drawbacks, because we'd moved so often, by the time that Nick was eight, he'd been to six different kindergartens and schools. That's, that's hard. And some of those were in England, some of was in Australia, and another one was in Germany. Curriculum all different. And so for his own sake, and for his education, he had to go to boarding school. And both boys went to boarding school before they were eight, so they were never really back at home for any length of time after that. Difficult to maintain the relationship in that way. Are you close still as a family? Uh, what happened, I think, was we recognised that school gave them continuity yep. and friends. Yep. We gave them the love. Got it. So when they came home, all four of us used to make big efforts to be nice to each other. And then they went to school and had their friends and they in a different life. Very interesting. Uh, let's talk about uh, some of the selected military highlights uh, that are definitely worth recounting because you sent me some uh, interesting information about some people that you guarded. Maybe you'd like to start there. Well, if you want those. Um, again, Berlin came immediately after um, my first posting in Northern Ireland. And in 1965... What was it like, Colin, 1965 in Berlin then? How, what, talk- pretty nose-to-nose. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll finish the story about, about the prisoners. At that stage, the Spandau prison was still working, as it did for another 20 years after that. And we had the three last remaining Nazi prisoners to look after every four months when it was the British turn to provide the guards. So I looked after Hess von Schirach and Speer. Were you able to get to know them as... <laughs> the last thing you did was talk to them. Really? Um, yes. Yeah. They had their own warders that looked after them. Okay. Their personal needs. But they were, uh, they were allowed into a garden. And you had to pass them when you were looking at the guard and the guard was changing, that sort of thing. But you never spoke to them and they certainly wouldn't speak to you. And for those that don't know, Spandau Prison is in West West Berlin. West Berlin. Okay. Um, So you were starting to tell us what it was like living in Berlin at that stage. Well, the wall had only just started to go up a year before we got there. Yeah. Um, East-West relationships were very, very strained. And at one point, the West German government wanted to hold a parliamentary session in West Berlin. And the Russians and the East Germans objected, and they closed the autobahns from West Berlin to West Germany, which itself was a problem. Mm -hmm. And then they compounded that by flying their fighter jets over the city and breaking the sound barrier, and probably 20 or 30 times a day, sufficient to shatter shop windows. Wow. So you can imagine the effect that had on the local population. It was very jumpy. Well, unfortunately for them, one of their planes got out of control and crashed into a lake in the British sector. And there's a remarkable story about it in the book. It was their latest fighter. They came in and they had observers within 20 metres of the crash site. And Royal Navy divers recovered the engines, the radios and the radars, took them to the Air Force Station in Berlin... So all the technology was revealed to the West. And they're not content with that. They took them back and put it on the crash site, if you remember, at the bottom of a lake. It makes Bond seem pretty small, dear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is really, an, you know, it's a very interesting period to be out there. Have you been back to Berlin? Yes, I was posted back there um, <clears throat> about 10 years after that. Okay. And it was a time walk, really, because nothing had changed in 10 years. Um there was only one chap left in the Spandau prison, which was Hess. But other than that, not a lot had changed until the wall came down. Right. And then we've seen and significant then it change. Part of, yes, significant Absolutely. Change. And have you been back recently? Yes. Um, 
only a few years ago now. <laughs> Virtually all traces of the wall is gone. I tried to find um, the barracks that I served in, and that was right up against the outer fence of Berlin, and it was very difficult to find where the outer fence had been. Right. Um, we could find our own quarters. The interesting thing there was that when the boys came home and they were in Berlin, their street ended with the outer wire. So they had the safest play area in the world, just about. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from Berlin directly to Northern Ireland, or have, we, have I missed? No, 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 there was quite a lot in between. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So where would you like to take us next? Well, I first saw active service in Aden, which did come after the first bit of Berlin. That was okay. right at the end before the British withdrew. And that was a, a really quite hairy time. Much of the sort of thing that you're seeing on your televisions today about Kiev pertained to Aden without the heavy shelling, but a lot of small arms fire, grenades and bombs. And how long were you in uh, Aden for? Seven months. Seven months. Because it was one of these intensive tours, because we had over 450 incidents in the seven months, 174 soldiers required hospital treatment, but no, no one died from a result of enemy action, which was wow. unbelievably that amazing. lucky. That is amazing, utterly amazing. And then on to Northern Ireland, is that the next big place? No, Back in England, I got married, became an instructor, Okay. then back to West Germany for a tour, then back to Sandhurst, where I was again an instructor and rubbed shoulders with Mark Phillips and Princess Anne. Um, then Northern Ireland with the family. Okay. Then Australia, then back to Berlin. You can see how much we begin to jump about. Totally, um, totally. And after Berlin, I came back to the MOD, where I worked during the Falklands campaign. And an interesting job, because apart from doing normal military operations, I also had to write the plans that brought the military in when there were strikes like firemen strikes or ambulance strikes. Okay, so any situation that required... Any situation like that that required the military, I wrote the plan for it. And is that because you have a natural bent for that sort of stuff? I, mean, to, yeah? I had uh, three streams in my my military career. One was regimental soldiering with your soldiers in the battalion, obviously. I was an operations officer several times over, and I was an instructor. And the other thing that seemed to run through my military career was making faux pas with the royals whenever they turned up. So can we talk about any of that? Is, <laughs> you think one can reveal? Is it in the book? It must be in the it's book. It's in the book. It's in the book. <laughs> well, um, um, yeah, I'll tell you one. Um, uh, the, the Queen Mum was my favourite royal. And she had such a twinkle in the eye, you would not believe. And right at the very start of my career, I was the junior officer. And she came to visit the battalion, because she was our colonel-in-chief. And her changing room was next to my bedroom on the ground floor. Oh, right. And I was told to go and get rid of the belts that the officers wear when they carry the colours. So I ran round the side of the building, ducked under the bedroom windows, found my own bedroom opened the window and threw the belts inside. But on the way back, I came up too early. <laughs> and I was all of about 18 inches from the Queen Mother, who was having a quiet cigarette. <laughs> so I didn't quite know what to do, so made a quick bow and then ran back. And when I was introduced, finally, at the end, the man that was announcing us said, Mr. Groves, so I came forward and took Her Majesty's hand, gave her a quick bow, and she looked at me, she said, Ah, oh, yes, we have met. <laughs> which was a lovely, lovely, lovely moment <laughs> and astounded everybody around. And you mentioned some other roles as well. Do you say Mark Phillips and... Um, at Sandhurst, yeah. I was a captain instructor and Mark 
immediately after he's married came to do the same job. But if you're not an infantry officer, you have to walk your first course with an infantry captain. Right. And I was the captain. He walked his course. Aha. Got it. Got it. And uh, we're talking about your new book, which is called Life Wasn't Boring. We didn't uh, actually say how much it costs to buy. How much is it to buy? It's 20 if you buy it uh, retail, but Amazon will, and the book depository will probably do a deal on that. Okay, so and it uh, came out in March. It came out only last week. Wow, so very, very fresh. It is very Hot fresh. on the bookshelves, as they say. And the London Book Fair, Fair is... When? In April. In April. But that's really for the... Um, with the publishing trade. It's, okay. not, it's not a public event. Do you get to attend that at all or not yourself? I could, um, but it's really for experts, so I'll let my publisher do that. Okay. <laughs> Who is the publisher, by the way? Unicorn Publishing Group. And uh, did you choose them or did they choose you? How did that work? Um, it all goes back to Queen Mary. And part oh, of the okay. advice yep. was when you've written your book, here's a possible agent for you. Oh, brilliant. And I sent it to this lady, um, and she is like an ever-ready battery... And she said almost immediately, I know who to place it with, and did. And Unicorn gave me an agreement within 24 hours of it being submitted. That's Which is absolutely staggering. Turning it around very quickly, isn't it? And they haven't changed a single word. It's just as it was drafted. Which is also really interesting. Which I thought, well, I was quite prepared for your first time author that to have an editor that would say, no, this is no Scratch this out, don't take that. They didn't. They just took took it it as it was. Well, must be good then. Well, I, I'd like to High standard, I'm sure it is. Uh, so we're looking at your sort of the military planning background, etc. And we'll talk about your time in, in Berlin. So, Oh, well, yes. The first time in Berlin um, was probably the most interesting. Right. And as I said, the war had only gone up about a year when we arrived there. And one evening, I was coming back to barracks when one of our recce platoon vehicles came roaring past me. And it was quite dangerous. So I ran back to barracks to find out what was going on. And they had rescued three East Germans who had just come through the wire and intervened. Wow. Now, coming out of this vehicle were three young people, all in their late teens or early 20s, really disheveled, really muddy. And when they realised that where they got, they were now in West Berlin and safe, I suppose shock took over because they began to shake and cry and talk about Freiheit, freedom. And I, it came home to me just how desperately bad the regime, the other side of the wall was. I mean, in fact, you've got a lot of the, the same style of thing going on in the Ukraine today. exactly the same thing, Colin, yes. Anyway, I, I made a pact with myself that however humble my little contribution might be, I was going to do all I could to confront it. Now, also linked to a border, 20 years later, after I had been uh, the senior operations officer for the British in Germany, and therefore keeper of the war plan, this was after the wall had been breached, but before East and West Germany had reunified. Okay. And I was a girl with my family, and we walked through a very rough gap in the border fence between East and West Germany, along a rough track which had been laid. And I stood in no man's land and looked around me, and there was no Soviet army. There was no East German army. There was no East German police. And the West had won the Cold War. And that, for me, was an absolutely tremendous professional moment. Unbelievable moment. Not many people can say that, can they, that they've been through? Well, no. Um, and the s- contrast was so stark. I mean, there were two villages, um, only separated by 500 metres. One was in the West, one was in the East. 
The Western one that we just left was very, very uh, well-to-do. But when you crossed into East Germany, the first thing you noticed, there was no colour. Hmm. There was no paint on the doors, no paint on the window frames. Even the red ring and the 50-kilometre-an-hour sign that, that, as you left the village, had faded into nothingness. There was one petrol pump and no garage, and the petrol pump was for tractors and for the border company that policed the area. And there were huge um, megaphones throughout the village, which I presume the communist apparatchiks would tell the people to work harder or not do this or not do that. Um, it was a incredibly stark contrast between the two villages. Absolutely, absolutely. That's really interesting, Colin. Um, you mentioned very briefly, as we were talking in the last break, that you also served in the Falkland Islands. I didn't. I, I, ah. um, being a, a cautious soldier, I sent people there rather than went myself. But my job was um, to enable all the deployments. And the interesting thing there was working in the MOD, stuff you did in the morning, going across your desk as a fairly junior staff officer, if you were lucky enough to get home that night, you could see on the 10 o'clock news. Things oh, were moving that, that fast. That fast. Yes, indeed. Yeah, okay. Um, so the book is out. It is. Uh, people can buy it. Let's uh, remind people of the title of the book again. Life Wasn't Boring. Life Wasn't Boring. Uh, it's available on Unicorn Publishing Group. Yes. And uh, you can get it on Amazon. So Amazon. literally just key in the name of the title of the book. It should exactly. come up on the internet. And the... And the book depository is the other place you can go to. Both of them, I don't think, charge for a delivery. Okay. All righty. Thank you for coming in this afternoon. It's been my pleasure. It's been Thank great. You. 